Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. the give and go. Cairo shoots. He scores! Cairo out of the corner. Got a great pass. And he beats Bennington and the blue team with a 2-0 lead. Yeah, it was definitely good to play on our home ice again. You know, it's been a while since we've, we've been out there on the ice and you know, it took a little while getting used to it. But, you know, like I said, it was a good game and could compete out there. You know, the power play was buzzing and PK was buzzing, so we're doing well. If you look at Bozak, we put Thomas with him and he, matru- he uh, nurtured him and uh, you know, he's just a good fit for young guys. He uh, has patience, and uh, he's a smart player, and he, I think he gives young guys confidence. And, um, you know, with Zach Sanford, uh, with Hoffman here, um, you know, I put Zach on that line. He uh, protects the puck well. He, handled, you know, makes plays strong on the puck. So you got a little of everything on that line, and, um, you know, so far, so good. So the blue team on a power play. It is Perron now for O'Reilly, and a shot, and he scores! He gets his own rebound, and he jams it under Jordan Bennington, and the blue team with a 1-0 lead. On the back end, or, you know, Mikula, he's, he's had a good camp, in my opinion, and uh, played pretty well. Um, you know, up front, I think our, our uh, team's pretty set. You know, we, we're pretty deep. You know, it's kind of set already up front, but... Uh, I thought that there's a lot of guys that did well and, and uh, they look good out there. And like I said, we're going to need some, we're going to need extra players. Who, uh, you know that uh, with the schedule and uh, injuries and things that happen. So uh, it's important that we got good depth. Monday edition scoops with Danny Mac, and away we go. Dan McLaughlin with you. Alex Ferrario in for the first segment. Little montage from what happened last night. A scrimmage, and that was at Enterprise Center. Alex, always great to have you with us. Our Blues insider. He'll be busy this week. He's going to be busy for the next few months as the Blues are back and the Blues will kick it off for real on Wednesday night as they'll take on the Colorado Avalanche. Alex, our pregame show, postgame show, Blues intermission host. And welcome into Scoops with Danny Mac. Dave Matter is coming up from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And we'll talk about some news concerning Missouri basketball as well. Alex, uh, great to be with you. You're coming up uh, uh, with the show between 11 and 2. But I wanted to get you in because you were... Uh, feet on the ground, if you will, <laughs> eyes on the scene. Yep. What'd you take away from last night in that really what was a final tune-up for the St. Louis Blues last night? It looks just like that, Dan, a final tune-up. Um, you know, that first one that they had last week at Centene, which we carried here on 101 ESPN, that one looked a little bit more sluggish. It looked like those guys hadn't been on the ice in an actual scrimmage in a long time. But last night felt a little bit different. You know, they stacked the rosters a little bit sideways. They had a lot of the NHL guys that you expect, like the top three lines for this upcoming season were on the blue side, and Jordan Bennington was on the white side. And I would imagine that's because Bennington wanted some work. He got work last night because they were peppering him with shots. 
And frankly, I thought Bennington looked great despite what the score was at the end, 4-2. to two. But, you know, there was a couple of things that, that came away from this one. You know, the speed amped up. I, I wrote down in my notes that that first period looked still a little bit sluggish. Um, this was a white team, Dan, that the best line that the white team had was... Clifford, Barbashev, and Sunquist. That's the fourth line, but that was the number one line on the white team, if that gives you a little bit of an idea of what they were going with there. But the white team in the first 10 minutes of the game had the blue team hemmed into their own zone. And I think that's what Craig Berube wanted to see. How do these guys react to this type of play? Because that's what they're going to get. Going to get punched in the mouth pretty quick on Wednesday when you play Colorado. So, you know, the speed picked up. The chemistry started to build, I thought. And, uh, you know, frankly, there was a couple of players that stuck out, but none more than Jordan Cairo, who once again had a two-goal performance in this scrimmage. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So for this first segment, we will visit with Alex Ferrario. If you want to jump in, talk Blues hockey, ask questions, now is the time to do it. 65780 from the Air Comfort Service text line. Jordan Cairo, to me, that's got to be the talk of camp. It is the talk of camp, and it should be the talk of camp because he's getting this shot over a Sammy Blay, Dan. And look, last night, I thought Sammy Blay had a phenomenal performance. He didn't find the back of the net, but he created offense. He was very physical on the forecheck. He creates possession time. That's what Craig Berube wants. But Jordan Cairo just stands alone from him right now. And I think it's because of the chemistry that there's built between that third line. Uh, Barubi, you heard it on the on the montage that you guys had together on the return. Barubi thought Sanford it was his best game last night in the scrimmage. And I know there's been two of them, but this is this is amping up from the last couple of practices. Where- I want to see him play. He's, I've been from, from day one. I love his speed. Yeah, I want to see speed. Well, and he's put nine pounds of of muscle on this offseason. Yes. So now he's trying. He's trying to be that power forward, Dan, that Craig Berube wants him to be. But what sets him apart from those guys is the fact that he can shoot the puck and he can dish the puck. Last night, Kairou's first goal, Sanford's hemmed into the near side in the corner in the offensive zone. He pulls it away from a defender. I think it was Scandella, if I'm not mistaken, and just goes straight through the middle of the ice to Kairou's stick for a one time shot in the goal. That's what Sanford and Kyrou are doing. They're building this chemistry right now that provides the Blues a deep third line. Most teams don't have a third line that can go out there exactly. and say they have two guys who could be legitimate 20-goal scorers. Maybe that's a little optimistic for me, but I think if Sanford can play with somebody consistency, and if Kyrou continues to play the way that he's been playing, Dan, he's got the speed, he's put on muscle this offseason, he's got the shot, it's just a matter of finishing those chances, and he's done it in these last two scrimmages with four goals. How about with... Uh the transactions. So today is kind of a big day for the Blues. They got to yep. figure out some of the the maneuvering of what they need to do. I would assume that this also includes Hall and and some of the the, the transactions of just making sure now it's official. Yep. Those kind of things that need to happen today. Yeah. So today is the last day that you can put people on waivers. I'm sorry. You can put you can make transactions to move them to the AHL or wherever you're going to do with them without the the repercussions of them being on waivers or whatnot. Now there are some guys who will be on waivers because that's how their contracts work. But this, I think I heard Hoffman. I, I'm excuse me. Not Hoffman. Hall. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. You said hall. That was making fun of me. I appreciate that, yes. Dan. Um, today is going to be interesting because it's going to be the biggest day (laughs) probably in NHL history when it comes to transactions like this. I mean, you got a lot of guys. I think I read today there's about 24 teams that haven't made any transactions yet, and teams got to get down from the 40-plus roster that they're on to about 26, um, and the 26 with the six-man taxi squad. So this is going to be a big one for Hoffman because, again, like you mentioned, um, you're going to be placing Steen on LTIR probably on Wednesday, so I would imagine this contract's going to come out in the next couple of days, but you're going to know what this roster looks 
like. You're going to know what the 21-man roster is, and you're going to know what this six-man taxi squad is going to look like for the upcoming season. And frankly, I do believe there's a little bit of competition for that six-man taxi squad spots. What are the the guys? What what do you think that competition is, if you could just think off the top of your head? Well, right now, there's two defensemen, Nico Mikola and Jake Wallman. Nico Mikola has had great games, practices, no matter what you look at, but it's Jake Wallman, Dan, the last time we saw him. When you look at what Wallman went through, he he he's creating offense. Last night in the scrimmage, I think he was probably one of the better defensemen because he was creating opportunities. He was getting out of his own zone quick. He stood out to me. So those two, I think, are going to be on this roster if you go that route because, remember, you already have seven defensemen that you're carrying. But then on the forward side, you know, you do have a Jacob De La Rose. You got a Mackenzie McEachern and a Sammy Blake, kind of where those guys are going to fall in place. But there's another line that stuck out to me, at least in the second scrimmage. They did in the first one as well, Dan. Curtis McKenzie, Nathan Walker, and Austin Pagansky. Those three guys are kind of AHL, NHL tier players. Um, but those three are guys who can play third or fourth line roles. We saw Nathan Walker last year for a little bit. Saw Pagansky last year a little bit. Curtis McKenzie has played for the Vegas Golden Knights and in the American Hockey League. I think those three are going to make some competition for one of those taxi squad, two of those taxi squad spots. Billy Husso, how has he looked in this camp? How did he look last night? Both goaltenders really stuck out to me last night. Jordan Bennington, of course, being Jordan Bennington, I think there's a little chip on his shoulder. But Ville Husso was another one, Dan, and I mean, he was on the blue squad, so there wasn't as much offensive power last night in the scrimmage that Bennington was facing, but Ville Husso didn't allow a goal. The two goals that were scored were both empty netters because Craig Berube pulled the guy to see what a six-on-four power play would look like with about four minutes to go. Ville Husso was making some high-danger chances. Now, again, this wasn't the offensive juggernaut that he might see with Colorado or Vegas or Minnesota. But it's going to be confidence in net. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that we don't know about because we haven't seen him there, Um, at least from that scrimmage. You know, Darren Pang always talks about goalies. You can read them on. You can read their body language if they look behind them when they make a save. Huso wasn't doing that last night. He was very quick, up, down, butterfly position style as a goaltender. But uh, I think Ville Huso is going to be. I think he's going to surprise some people this year because I know goaltending is the biggest question mark going into this season. I want to go back to Wallman because I, I watched the, the scrimmage last night. He impressed me. Yeah. I thought he looked good last night. I do too. This is a guy that's very interesting, Dan, because he's been a pro player, I think Barubi said, for the last four seasons. American Hockey League guy. He's had a sniff a couple of times at the NHL level, but he's always kind of been blocked by players, whether it's NHL guys or, you know, they had a Jordan Schmaltz in the system for so long that always got the look before Wallman. Wallman is a left-handed guy. He reminds me a lot of what Vince Dunn does. He's an offensive-minded guy, can play defense. The biggest flaw for Jake Wallman, at least I've heard in the past, is he doesn't make the decisions quick enough, right? Like he's too, he takes too long to make decisions with the puck. Last night, it didn't look that way. I mean, he was exiting his zone about as fast as a Tory Crew, Colton Pareko were. He was skating up into the zone. He's jumping into the offensive play. He wasn't a defensive liability. Again, I don't think he's going to steal the spotlight from a Vince Dunn, Robert Bortuzzo. I think he's all the way down there on that depth chart behind Nico Mikola. But it tells you something that Craig Berube is rotating him in with these NHL lineups because he wants to see what he can do. So I I imagine he's going to be on the taxi squad. Perenovich, how's he looked? Nothing too special. Nothing stands out. I mean, it's hard to sit there and say he's going to. I mean, 
You figure he's had a week. Yeah, I know. Practice it's, it's tough coming out of college, which Joey says is probably one of the more difficult things to go from NHL to the or from college to the NHL level. You know, he he's an offensive guy. I, right. I think that's what Scott Perunovich is going to be labeled as. He he was getting some shots off. They were getting blocked. It's going to be his defensive game, and that's why if I if I were to make the guess now I would say he's going to start the season in the AHL because that's where you can work on your defensive game he's an intriguing one though because he's only got a two-year bridge contract as the collegiate player that they signed and then drafted so you got this year and next year before he becomes basically a free agent or restricted free agent I believe so they want to see what he's got I don't think he's going to be fast-tracked to the NHL I think he'll start in the AHL but he's got the offensive capability that a Vince Dunn does. So we're about 48 hours away. What do you think the toughest decisions for the Blues will be here in the next 48 hours? Boy, the toughest decisions, I think, are going to be that taxi squad. Yeah. Because I think the NHL roster is set. I think Jordan Cairo has solidified his spot as that third-line winger with with um, Tyler Bozak and Zach Sanford. You're not touching any of these other lines. Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman uh, converted on a 1-2 punch last night on the 3-on-3 three -three overtime, Dan. That looked great. I think your defense is set with those seven guys being Gunnarsson as the seventh. So it comes down to the six taxi squad. I would imagine the blues are going to carry those six guys. And again, Jake Wallman and Nico Mikola, I feel are going to be on that six. And then you got four guys to decide from when it comes to De La Rose, McEachern, Walker, Pagansky, and a Curtis McKenzie. If you miss anything, uh, always on the uh, ESPN 101 ESPN uh, website. It's uh, presented by I Promise. That is our podcast. But also, you do some great work on a lot of the writings and the, the articles. And you've got something interesting there. The top five opponents. You and I were having a little disagreement yeah. off air. But you, you wrote the top five opponents for the Blues. This is interesting. What do you have? So I, I went through it last night because I read an article over the weekend, Dan, that, that's said the Blues are kind of in the second tier of cup contenders. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, I understand people's thoughts with Colorado and in, in Vegas. But then I looked at the division and I wanted to kind of look at who should be concerning for teams this season. Now, look, Colorado and Vegas on paper should be concerning. But Arizona was my number one team as a team of concern if I'm the Blues playing in the regular season. And I see the smirk on your face. I see you questioning me here, Dan. Here's why. Colorado is a team that it's the familiarity, right? Ah. Like, like Colorado would be a better team in a lot of people's opinions, but the way that the Blues... Like mine? Yeah, like yours. Okay. But the Blues play Colorado. If you look at the way they played them the last three seasons, right. they have the best record of any team right. in terms of competition That's in their right. division. Blues are good against Colorado. Their power play is good against Colorado. They make their defense look a little bit shaky every once in a while against Colorado. I get it. It's Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen. That's right. But the Blues play them better. They're, they they step their game up. The team that they have not played well in the last three seasons of any of these teams in the West are the Arizona Coyotes. Now, they've played all of these teams. Colorado, they played 11 times. Everyone else was nine times. So they're very close in numbers. The Blues have three victories against the Arizona Coyotes, Dan. This is a young team. This is a team that is trending in the right direction. I equated it to Arizona plays the way that Vancouver played last year in the bubble. And we all know how that worked out for the Blues. Didn't work out well. Speed is Arizona's specialty. But the X factor is Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett, the head coach for Arizona. Yeah. He's an angry guy. He coaches like Craig Berube. He puts some fight in them. I know people aren't going to believe me. People aren't going to like it. 
But I think when it comes to playing a team eight times this season, I think Arizona might cause the most fits for the Blues this year in the regular season. January 11, Remember 2021. It. Remember Alex it. and Dan disagree. Okay. What do you think of my my two through five, though, Dan? Well, I, I mean, the teams that I get concerned with are the obvious ones. Colorado. Yeah. Vegas. See, I have Vegas more concerning as Col- than Colorado. No, I, I the team that they're going to see on Wednesday, that's the team that concerns me the most. Okay. That's we'll find the one out that, about that. All right. I finished f- the article with let the debating begin. And let frankly, the debating begin. when you and I are on the air together, it turns out to be that way. Hall and Oates, you know, <laughs> I maybe have maybe. Saw- I didn't call you out. BK called you that's out. True. Then that's true. Afterwards, I called Your you out. Your sarcasm called me out, though. It did. Go back and look into it. Okay. I guess it's Optimistic <laughs> Tuesday here. It is, Dan. I'm no, excited. No, I called it Happy Talk. That's right. That's right. Happy Talk. I did see Cujo last night in that, though, so. That was yeah. You 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 probably saw Hall and Oates, Cujo, uh, Glenn Hall. Yeah, um, maybe little Bernie Federko. Federko is out there. There are yeah. glimpses of all of Scott them. Scott Stevens. You never know. You never know, Dan, what you can get from a blue scrimmage with Fred, Alex watching. Brendan Shanahan was out there. Um, by the way, very quickly. Uh, yeah. So let's promote this Wednesday night. It all starts. When does it start on one one? So the game is nine thirty. Puck drop. A late one, I know, but we got a lot of fun for you. So starting at six o'clock, it's awesome. a little this week in hockey opening night premiere. It'll be me and Joe Vitale from 6 to 8.30. Plenty of previews for you. Um, two and a half hours of that. So this week in hockey special. Pre-game starts at 8.30. I'll have plenty of that. Um, and then, of course, 9.30 puck drop, and we'll have some post-game discussion as well. Can't wait, man. Thanks, Great Danny. job. Great Appreciate job. it. Alex Ferrario coming up uh, with BK at 11. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. The national championship is tonight. Let's visit with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, who covers Mizzou athletics inside and out. Specifically, we're talking about football, basketball, everything. Dave Matter does an excellent job covering Mizzou athletics. Hey, Dave, good morning to you. Always great to catch up. How are things going? Going well, Dan. Thanks for having me. You bet. I want to get into the national championship in just a moment, but... Boy, I'd love to talk college basketball. I'd love to be talking a little slew, men's or women's. I'd love to be talking Mizzou basketball. Illinois is the only one on the hard court right now. So let's let's start with Mizzou basketball. They're shut down right now. What's the latest going on with Conjo Martin's program? Yeah, you know, they had their game against LSU. It was supposed to be Saturday. That was postponed. And then they were supposed to host Vanderbilt tomorrow night, Tuesday. That is postponed. Um, they've got you know, at least one COVID case, if not more. And then they've got all the contact tracing that you have to do. So they just weren't able to play these games. They had to suspend or or, or stop all team activities, pause, I guess is the word we're using, through Wednesday of this week. But they believe they can get going again on Wednesday, start practicing, and and pending further testing, of course, as as we have to do in all of this stuff. And then they would play again Saturday at Texas A&M. So They've lost two home games here, right? And right after losing a, a game at Mississippi State, a bad loss. We all remember that one. Um, it, it would have been nice for this team to get back playing at home, um, you know, sort of maybe get on a little bit of a run, recapture a little momentum, but now they got to go back on the road. So we'll see. Now the SEC did, they, they created a, an open weekend at the end of the regular season to make up any lost games. I don't know how that works if you've lost multiple games. Uh, so they'll have to make these up somehow. Not sure exactly how that would work, but the hope is that they could start playing again and then not have any more positive cases and and just resume this season. That's the really interesting thing. You know, the SEC bought themselves some time, and I thought they did it rightfully 
uh, as opposed to what the Big Ten did, and they were almost backed into a corner with Ohio State, but it worked out for them. But in basketball, I really got to wonder how these teams are going to make up these games without trying to go back-to-back with certain teams if certain teams agree to do that. It's going to be really tough to to try, and not just in the SEC, but with Mizzou, but I'm watching SLU. SLU could be shut down for a month. I'm trying to figure out how they're going to make up some of these games. Yeah, it's crazy. They're, the games are really going to be scrambled within their conferences. I thought it was pretty wild what the SEC did the other day. They canceled Missouri's game on Friday for the next day against LSU and sent LSU to Oxford, Mississippi instead with barely 24 hours notice. Wow. Which you can't really do that in football. You can do it with basketball, I guess, because you got smaller teams. The prep time's not quite the same. And to LSU's credit, they went to Oxford and won, and that game wasn't really even close for most of it. Um, but but that's what these teams have to be ready for. They they almost just have to be able to freelance on the go as far as your your preparation. And uh, you know they all they're familiar with these teams and coaches, so it's not like they're preparing for a complete stranger. But man, I I, I got to think we're going to see more of that because it's not only Missouri. Uh, Vanderbilt had issues earlier in the year. South Carolina's had issues most of this season. They have hardly played this season. Um, so I. I Hopefully this is over, but it'd be naive to think that it is. So the question would be, and I don't know if you know this answer, so as you talk to other beat writers, you talk to administrators, and you're connected all over the country, um, when we do get to a selection Sunday, and let's hope that we do, how will the, the, the selection committee be able to look at schedules and say, and it's going to be, I mean, you talk about doing your homework this year, man. you got to really do your homework. You say, well, this team lost this game, but their best player was out with COVID, but then he came back in this game, and oh, by the way, this team's only played 15 teams uh, or 15 games, and this this team played 20. I mean, how do you try to figure this thing out? How are they going to try to put that all in a computer or whatever they're going to do and sort this thing out and come up with what they feel is a competitive and fair field for the tournament? Because we will have an NCAA tournament. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And I, I don't know what the answer is other than they're just going to have to evaluate every team on a team by team basis. As long as they have those prerequisite wins, which I think they are, are games played, which I think they said at like 12 or 13 at the beginning of the year. And what we learned in college sports this year with football is you can change those rules yeah. on the fly like they did with Ohio State and the Big Ten throughout the football season. But um, as long as they have played the minimum games and they've got a decent enough record to be considered. I just got to think they're going to have to look through every case and there's no other way to do it. That's why they put these folks on the, on the selection committees. Um, yeah. Teams, there's going to be teams that play a lot more games than other teams. You look at Duke right now. I think they're five and two. They were three and two for a while. They hadn't played anybody else because they've either had games canceled or they postponed or they decided not to play certain games. Um, South Carolina, another one in the, the one in the sec. I mean, they're, they're sitting here right now only at three and two. I mean, they haven't played, they played January 6th, um, but before that, uh, they played January 2nd, and then not since December 5th. So their situation is kind of similar to SLU. So it's going to be really, really hard for the committee. But as you said, there will be a tournament this year. They can't, NCAA can't afford to go two years without this thing. Um, but but schedules are going to be scrambled like crazy. Dave Matter of the Post-Dispatch covers Mizzou Athletics is my guest. And Dave, I, I got to ask you this too. If you're shut down like a SLU or a Mizzou, and both are in the top 25, um, it was interesting. You know, SLU hadn't played, and yet they got into the top 25. 
Can you move? Can you be adjusted with the top 25? And it's not the end-all, be-all, but, man, it's nice to say, hey, we're in the top 25. How do you, how do you make those assessments as well if you don't play? Yeah, it's hard. And I'll answer this as an AP voter because I have to fill out my ballot every Monday morning. And SLU's been the, the test case because I've had them ranked um, since about the third week of the season. Right there between 20 and 25. What what happens when they don't play? Well, I, I just feel like you can't punish them um, because they still have the same record. They still have the same credentials that that put them on your ballot. And it's, is it their fault they can't play? Well, I mean, technically, yeah, if there's a positive case that's that somebody made a mistake somewhere, or not even a mistake, just a, a, something unfortunate happened. But did that say anything about the quality of their resume right now? No, it doesn't at all. So I leave them on there. I don't punish them for that. I, so other voters might be look at it differently. Um, but it's, it's a tough call. This is unprecedented. We're not used to just having to have teams that go a month without playing games. It's it's wild. But at the end of the day, if you still believe in their credentials and what they were able to do with that eight game start and thought that that made them one of the top 25 teams in the country, then in my eyes, they, they still are, even though they haven't played in a while. The last time I talked to you, <clears throat> Mizzou football was getting ready to play in the Music City Bowl. And obviously that got canceled. Now you've had a chance to catch your breath, kind of reflect on the Missouri football season. As you reflect in a general sense, uh, how would you sum up what happened for Eli in this first year? I thought there was a lot to build on. A lot of promising things happened. Um, you know, nobody thought that this team would win. Once they went to that 10-game SEC schedule, nobody was expecting this team to finish with a 500 record. I certainly wasn't. You know, I thought that they could be more competitive in some games than they have in the past against the better teams in the league. Um, but I thought that the big stride they made was – they took care of most of the games against the teams that are kind of in their realm, you know, those other middle-class SEC teams. Now they lost to Tennessee and that ended up looking like a worse loss at the end of the season than it did at the time. And then a, a disappointing finish to Mississippi state. There are a lot of factors that went into that Missouri's roster at that point was pretty gutted, especially on defense. But you look at uh, what they did against Kentucky and South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Arkansas, those are games that Missouri consistently has not been winning for a while. And you can't think about competing in the SEC or the Eastern Division until you start winning those games. And, and they did win those games. So that's progress. It's a, it's a team, I think, and a program that's on the rise. We saw some really good things out of their offense. Their defense was up and down. They had a lot of personnel issues there. But I, I think there's a lot there you can build on. And, and maybe more than anything, they generated some excitement. They became relevant outside of just Boone County. Now, fans couldn't really enjoy it in person like you could a normal season, but you really get the sense that, that Eli is building something, and, and, that's, and that's what you want out of that first year probably more than anything. The significance of Mookie Cooper transferring four-star from Ohio State to Mizzou, both on and off the field, what does that mean? Well, you need talent. You need talent on offense. You need playmakers. You need guys that can move the chains and score your points. And this was a player that everybody in the country wanted out of high school when he played at Trinity. Now, he didn't play his senior year. He had some issues there. He transferred to Pattonville and was never made eligible there. And he didn't play this past year at Ohio State. And that's no shame in being a freshman receiver at Ohio State and not playing. They've got some great talent there, as we'll see in the championship game. Um, but he is a playmaker, and he's from St. Louis, which is always great to get a guy that's – I don't care if he comes in his senior year of high school or if he comes in 
after going somewhere else first. Uh, I, I think it's a bit of a statement to to land a guy like this. Now you got to see if you can get him eligible this year. That's going to rely on the NCAA. They passed this rule, the one-time transfer rule, and then you got to figure out how he fits in. But this team needs playmakers, and that's why everybody wanted Mookie Cooper coming out of high school. Whether you line him up in the slot, outside, running back, kick returner, wherever, uh, they'll find a place for him for sure. Missouri had given up about 150 points in their last three games, and now they lose their defensive coordinator to Illinois. And some people are saying, now, why does that happen after one year with Eli? I'm not so sure from reading it from the outside looking in, it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. You're you're on the inside. Uh, tell me what you think about this move of Walters going from uh, Mizzou to Illinois. Yeah, it's one of those kind of puzzling things. If you just look at it from the outside a little bit, like here's a guy that he was under contract for two more years at Missouri, making $900,000 a year. That's, that's a pretty good salary for a guy who doesn't turn 35 for, for another week or so. Um, but why would he go to Illinois, a program that is still a, a power five program, but one that is significantly behind Missouri right now in terms of just where that program is at. Well, he let's let's remember, he he wasn't necessarily hired by Eli Drinkwitz. He was here. He was kept. I kind of like to say it was maybe a bit of a, an arranged marriage. Did it work out? It, it wasn't in shambles by any means. I never sensed any kind of resentment or hostility between those two. But the defense did struggle down the stretch. And I think if you're Ryan, maybe you see the writing on the wall and think, okay, this guy might be looking to hire somebody else in a year. Um, Maybe I need to go somewhere with a clean slate, a fresh start, work with a defensive-minded head coach where I can, you know, build what I know, build on my my own career. And I think it all just kind of worked out. I think this can be a win-win for both programs. I I think Ryan's a good coach. I think he's a good recruiter. Players really like him. I think he could have continued to build on his career and have success at Missouri. But for him, fresh start, clean slate, working for Brett Bielema, a guy that by talking to Ryan, he seems to really admire and like. Uh, You get to run the show at a Big Ten program and kind of build a place from the bottom up. And if you're Missouri, hey, now you get to go out and and pick a a coordinator to run this defense um, and and also have a bit of a, a clean slate on that side of the ball. We know Eli's an offensive coach. He doesn't completely turn his back to the defense like maybe a Mike Leach does, but he he is very much preoccupied with the offense. He wants to bring in somebody or keep somebody on staff, doesn't necessarily have to bring in an outsider, who will run that thing and run it really well. So we'll see what happens. Day Matter of the Post-Dispatch, my guest. I wasn't sure we would get to this point. Matter of fact, I doubted it sometimes that we'd have a national championship game. But here we are. We've got Alabama. We've got Ohio State. Um, number one, two-part question, did you think we'd get here? And number two, who do you like tonight? I, I really had my doubts back in June and July. And then when the season started, man, I just I just wasn't sure. And if anything, I thought it would be a really kind of incomplete sort of season to where, well, the Big Ten's not playing and the Pac-12's not playing. And how can you really crown a champion if, if only 60% of the teams are playing? Well, then obviously the Big Ten did everything it could and found every loophole to call crawl through to get you know its best program into the into the playoff and into the you know the the title hunt here and to Ohio State's credit they earned it after they the way they beat Clemson Uh, I don't think there's any doubt we've got the two best teams in the country playing for the championship Um, I I'm leaning towards Alabama I just like their firepower on offense I think it's too much but I I do think that Ohio State will make keep this thing really close and competitive if Justin Fields is healthy enough 
he took that that shot in that Clemson game and was able to stay in there and play maybe the best game a quarterback's played in college football this year. Um, he's got enough around him to to keep this thing tight. I, I just think that Alabama in the end just has too much, especially if Jalen Waddle gets on the field and in some kind of capacity. They've got the best receiver in college football. When healthy, they might have the best too. And uh, and it, it's hard to go against Nick Saban on the, on the big stage. Always great stuff, Dave. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for your work. And uh, hopefully Mizzou gets back on the hardwood very soon and we'll be reading you at the Post-Dispatch. Appreciate your time. Okay, thanks, Dan. That's Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Back on Scoops with Danny Mac. Some news from the St. Louis Blues. Enterprise Center will welcome a limited number of invited frontline workers. This is great news, along with the families and friends of the players, hockey staff, team employees, and essential personnel. When the Blues open up their first homestand Monday, January 18th against the Sharks. Quote, it's good news for everyone. The Blues hockey is back home at Enterprise Center. That is from the president of business operations, CEO Chris Zimmerman. We are proud to welcome this group of local heroes as our guests in the arena as a way to express our admiration and appreciation for their selfless work to keep the St. Louis Blues, uh, St. Louis area, excuse me, healthy and safe. There will be... Uh, 300 people being identified as the safest and most responsible uh, way to start the season. So 300 people being identified to welcome back into Enterprise Center. Obviously, they're going to hope to welcome back more people as the vaccine rolls out. More people can come back into Enterprise, but 300 people will be allowed into Enterprise on opening night, the home opener for the St. Louis Blues season. We were talking Missouri football with Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Eli Drinkowitz was on this morning with Carriker and Smallman. Self-evaluation, what did he uh, think of his first season as the Missouri head football coach? Well, I think the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, and I, I really believe we took a step in the right direction, and there were some ups and downs. We had some transfers. We had some guys decide that this wasn't the right place for them, but I really feel like the foundation of our program was laid, and to me, that was the most important thing. I talked about our, to our staff Hey, we've got to lay the foundation for what we're trying to build. Rome wasn't built in the day, uh, and nothing nothing good comes easy, and it takes time to build. This isn't instant oatmeal. This isn't uh, you know, hey, quick a quick fix. We got to lay the foundation. I felt like we did that. Now, were, were there things I've got to improve on? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's some things that just weren't right that have got to get fixed, and I'm pushing every single day to close the gap between us and the top two teams in our conference. You know, we finished third in the SEC East, but our goal is not to finish third in the SEC East and win a bowl game. Our goal is to win the SEC East. And so we got to find a way to close that gap in the second half. Because if you look at the game against Georgia and Florida, we were in striking distance in both of those games. And in the second half, we didn't get it done. So I got to find a way to make sure my team makes adjustments at halftime that we're still in those games in the second half. And so that's really where I, uh, you know, have got to focus. Yeah, it, you give us a grade, you know, if you would have bet Vegas that we would have been the over, you'd have doubled your money. So I'm not going to say that, you know, I don't, I don't know what that would, what kind of job that is, but, uh, you know, we, we did some positive things. Full podcast on 101 ESPN presented by I Promise Eli Drinkowitz, the head football coach at Mizzou. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. 
Brandon Kylie is in the house. What's coming up on the program, buddy? Oh, what's going on, Dan? How you doing? Good weekend for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, your your Steelers didn't look great last night, no, but they otherwise, did not. not too shabby. I, you know what? I was critical of the NFL for the seven team in each each conference playoff expansion. Yeah. yeah. I liked it. I thought it I was think awesome. I liked it. Well, I think it was great for um the fans to see the three, the triple headers. I mean, you know, if you love football, you, you turn on your TV at noon and you were, you're locked in until about 1030 at night. So if you're the NFL, kind of like what happened with major league baseball with the expansion of playoffs, this is what it's about. It's a showcase your game. Boom. There it is. Great. I, I'm in. And the other thing is like, I know the bears didn't look like they belonged, but we knew all year, the NFC, like there were basically five teams that belonged in the N- NFC playoffs, yeah. right? The AFC was different. The Colts absolutely belonged, and they easily could have won that game against the Bills, and if the postseason was its typical six teams, they wouldn't have been in. So they deserved to be in there. The Browns deserved to be in there. Um, you I, know what? I the, thought it was worthwhile. And the NFL, for the most part, generally speaking, every possession, it, it's just so important. And it comes down to the final five minutes. It just Well, in Phillips uh, Rivers' career, it comes down to five minutes every every game yeah <laughs> I mean, it, just every does. single day t- it's unbelievable it with like 10 minutes to go in that game every the Colts game. were down by I think at 14 at the at the time right it's like you know how this is gonna go right the Colts are gonna score they're gonna be down by four five or six one possession but more than a field goal right. there with with very little time remaining he's gonna have the ball and something weird is gonna happen it's great it theater. happens every time great every theater time. I love it so I, I enjoyed it it was fun I think it's gonna get better as we go along I cannot wait for the Kansas City game this weekend I think that's going to be great theater. Should be fun. I, I think the two 43-year-old quarterbacks is going to be fun to watch. That'll be great theater with Brady and Breeze. So I, I'm looking forward to and it. And I, I can't wait. I think the best game of the weekend is Ravens-Bills. Yeah, I, I be think a fun, that one. Josh Allen is, I, he's he's turned into almost for me like Mahomes. He's almost like must-see TV. Yeah. He's got an absolute cannon. He throws kind of odd angles. I just, I love watching him play. It's you fun. could screenshot any Josh Allen play at any time. And I could say, what happens next? Right. And any of like 75 different variables could come into play next. Right. Because you never know with him. Right. He's a playmaker. It's it's good stuff. Um, the I find it fascinating that the oldest quarterback remaining in the AFC is Baker Mayfield. You're seeing yes. actually the changing of the guard in the AFC. Meanwhile, in the NFC, it's the opposite. Yeah. You've got Brady and Brees. And then you've got Rodgers on the other side as well. So. It's it's almost a tale of two conferences that you can kind of tell through the lens of the quarterback position. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll get into a lot of that throughout the day today. We're going to start out with what I thought was one of the more unbelievable outcomes, which was last night's game. And then coming up at 1130, Luke Horak's going to tell us whether or not he's ready for the Jordan Cairo hype train to officially leave the station. Oh, I'm ready. I've been on that train for a while. A lot of people have been waiting quite a while for it to officially begin. Count me, and I'm, I'm the it, conductor. It feels like this could be the year. I've been, I've <laughs> We've been, been saying that a few times, like but it years. feels like this, this really might be the year for I him. I want to see him play. Now, I know he's added the weight, but I just want the speed. I love the speed. Give me speed, man. It's like the, it's like the Miami Hurricanes of Jimmy Johnson, baby. Yeah. Give me speed. I love speed. It's what every every sport now is about. Give me as much speed as you can. Yeah. Athleticism. That's the name of the game now. All right. Looking forward to it. Tanner, great job. This is 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise. On November 13th, it's the dawning of a new era. 
when the NFL debuts in Germany, live on NFL Network. Brady and the Bucks. Touchdown, Tampa Bay! DK and the Seahawks. Puts the ball up, making a catch! Wake up and watch with the world. It's Sunday morning football, live from Munich. Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, only on NFL Network. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.